Welcome to the NBA Deep Dives podcast. I'm your host, Nick Agar Johnson. Today, we're going to do a deep dive on the 2017 NBA draft. By the time we're recording this, the draft is only four days away, and it's a really exciting time for the NBA. So I'm here with Andrew Buchanan and Michael Marzak. Andrew, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Nick. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Thanks for coming back. And Michael, how are you? I'm great. Excited to talk draft. And let's jump right in and start talking draft. And start talking draft, let's start at the top with the number one overall pick. So as we are recording this, the 76ers and the Celtics have not yet finalized their trade, but all reports say that the 76ers will move up to the number one overall slot in return for the number three overall pick from the Celtics via the Brooklyn Nets, and a future first-rounder that will probably be the 2018 Lakers pick, but if it falls outside of the range between number two and number six, the Celtics will instead get the 2019 unprotected Kings pick. So I guess the question for the top of the draft is, is there any chance at all that the 76ers take someone that is not Mark Fultz? That would be a huge waste by Colangelo if he takes Lonzo Ball, because at that point you may as well have just traded with the Lakers to try and get Lonzo Ball. So I think all indicators kind of point to them taking Fultz, especially with Joel Embiid posting on Twitter and Instagram, you know, really repping Fultz. I totally agree. I don't think there's any chance or really any reason to believe they will take anyone other than Markel. Both a great fit in the terms of basketball style, but also just with all the, like like Andrew said, if you look at social media, just everything that every report indicates is going to be Markel. I think the Markel Fultz selection is really interesting just because this is the second straight year that the presumptive number one overall pick didn't make the NCAA tournament. But with Ben Simmons at LSU, there were at least a couple of guys on that roster that are fringe NBA prospects, whereas with Fultz, the team had a dismal record, didn't even make the NIT, much less the NCAA tournament, and yet Fultz has all the skills that you would want out of a point guard. I think really the only downside is that he didn't play much defense in college, but then again, there wasn't much of a reason to, given the roster he was surrounded with. No, that's that's totally true. I mean, when you go, what what, what is it? Nine wins, twenty two losses. It's it's tough, I guess, because a lot of people will put a lot of focus on winning in college. But I think uh, a good example was Paul George with Fresno State. He didn't win like at all during college, and he obviously turned out to be a very very good player. I agree. I think that there is there should be too much of an emphasis on being on a lousy college team. It's it's obviously easier to say it's team sport, and that. Really does go way beyond Fultz in Washington. There's obviously the coaching issues, team wide issues. I mean, a lack of skill is also an easy way to explain it. But when you actually watch Fultz play, he himself shows he has skills easily to be the number one pick. And I do not think that his lack of wins in college will deter the uh, Sixers from taking him at number one. It's just too much for sure thing for them to take anyone else. Let's move on to the next pick in the draft, belonging to the Los Angeles Lakers. And there might have been a question about whether the Celtics would go with Fultz or go for more of a reach and slightly more of a need with Josh Jackson. But now that the Sixers are picking number one overall, it seems pretty clear that it's going to be Markel Fultz. 
So I guess the question is, has all the recent talk out of the Lakers camp about Lonzo Ball just been a smokescreen? And is he sort of the obvious pick there? Or do you think there's a chance that they might go in a different direction with number two? I think they'll probably stick with Lonzo Ball because I really like the idea of D'Angelo Russell moving to the two. And there's definitely been some uh, reports coming out of Laker country that that might happen. And Lonzo Ball is the guy that will get it to the scorers like Brandon Ingram and D'Angelo Russell. I I honestly can't see a valid argument or like an argument that couldn't be easily countered when it comes to taking Lonzo Ball over Josh Jackson. I just don't think Jackson fills any sort of holes for the Lakers because they've already got Brandon Ingram and tons of reports are now coming out that Paul George is going to sign with them next year. So they don't really need another scorer. Uh, they need somebody to give it to their scores in Lonzo Ball. Again, agreed. I think I'm 100% on the team that this is a complete smoke screen. They just wanted to still kind of, you know, have their level of secrecy and mystery around Magic, uh, Magic Johnson's first draft pick. And I mean, it makes sense. There's no reason to announce who you want. You lose all leverage if they were to look at trading the pick. But if it comes down to it, I think Lonzo's a better prospect. And Again, like Andrew is getting at, he's the perfect fit for that roster, especially with the kind of basketball that Luke Walton wants to play, kind of the Golden State Warriors brand of ball movement, cutting, and just unselfish basketball. Lonzo fits in perfectly for that. And I also want to say, I love the Foot Locker uh, commercial, which kind of makes one of its own dad. I think that's the kind of thing that the, uh, the Lakers would absolutely love to see, just kind of separating itself a little bit from that whole mess. I think that the Foot Locker commercial, when paired with Lonzo's Players Tribune piece about his dad, really paints such a different picture of their whole family, but Lonzo in particular from what we've seen just in terms of the repeated media coverage of his dad. I think the other thing to note is that Lonzo Ball and D'Angelo Russell would be the worst defensive backcourt in basketball unless the Suns trade Eric Bledsoe and go with Tyler Ulis and Devin Booker. So that'll certainly be interesting. But then again, given how bad the Lakers' defense was last year, I'm not sure that changes all that much. Let's move on to number three, where the Celtics are now slotted to pick. And I think after the trade, I don't see any way that the Celtics aren't going to take Josh Jackson at number three, but what are you guys' thoughts on how Jackson might fit in with the Celtics and if there's anyone else that really makes sense there for them? Yeah, in terms of making sense, I do, I'm do. i a big fan of Jason Tatum. I think he could be uh, one of the better players in this draft, but with JJ, it's kind of hard to, to turn that down, that potential, because I think a lot of uh, scouts see a sort of Kawhi Leonard potential ceiling. He's obviously got a big bust potential as well if he never learns how to shoot the ball and will end up being more like a Michael Kidd Gilchrist or Tony Allen, who, you know, obviously those are two decent players, but that's not exactly the kind of player that you're going for uh, with the number three overall. So in terms of being the clear choice, I think it is, especially in terms of, I mean, he'll be better than Jay Crowder, hopefully, uh, in a few years. And Jay Crowder's going to get paid big time once, once his contract's up. So it just kind of makes sense short and long term. I completely agree again. I think that this is another kind of surefire pick that I think we're after this trade, we can pretty confidently say we know the top three now. Jackson has the athleticism. He has a seven-foot wingspan that they're going to love for protecting the rim. And the way uh, Brad Stevens is able to like develop these players and use them so effectively, even as a rookie, he really turned around Jalen Brown quickly. And 
Jared Brown had meaningful minutes in the playoffs, and that's impressive for any rookie, especially if Jared Brown who kind of had his ups and downs. I think Jackson a great choice for them, and I'm still a little shocked at the idea that they were trading down to three, but now that they're here, I think it's really the right the pick that you know they're going to make is John Jackson. Moving on to the number four pick, there's been some talk about the Suns trying to trade up to the Lakers pick to maybe grab Lonzo Ball, but given that that's mostly speculation at this point, what are you guys' thoughts on who might be a good fit for the Suns at number four? And I think that conversation has to start with Jason Tatum. Yeah, I totally agree. I think the only way they pick De'Aaron Fox over Jason Tatum is if they believe that Eric Bledsoe is not in their future plans, uh, which could be maybe if they trade up, it would have to include Bledsoe, but that probably won't happen. But Jason Tatum, their current small forward, I believe, is TJ Warren, who's, I mean, like, he's a good player with good potential, but Jason Tatum is, he's very, very good, and he's hard to pass up at that number four spot. So, Andrew's a little higher on Jason Tatum than I am. Now, I think that if we're for the sake of prediction, I think Tatum is probably the best guess for who the Suns will take, and I think he is a good fit. But a player that I think I can see the Suns reaching for, and it's not necessarily a prediction, but more so that uh, Jonathan Isaac has been really high on some analytics boards, and he's a player that's kind of been up and down in you know, mock drafts. That's someone I could see the Suns reaching for, because I think with the stage that they're at in uh, roster development, you really got to draft for talent here unless you're fit, but I do agree that I think that it probably Jason Tatum, maybe Isaac, and I agree. I don't really see them taking a point guard here the way their backcourt is set up right now, but they are looking to move less so that De'Aaron Fox is also play here. I'm kind of more on Michael's side of this than Andrew's. I'm not particularly high on Jason Tatum, but that being said, I think that Jonathan Isaac would be a smart reach here just because with TJ Warren and Devin Booker, you have a couple of guys who are very much offensive pieces rather than defensive pieces. And Isaac is kind of low usage player that would fit really well with a offense dominating guard like Booker. Moving on to the fifth overall pick. As a Kings fan, I am very happy that we haven't decided that De'Aaron Fox is going anywhere else because I think De'Aaron Fox is a perfect fit for the Kings and he's been spreading love about the Kings franchise on Twitter for almost a month now and the fans love him and he seems to love Sacramento and he's apparently really good friends with Willie Cauley-Stein and Scout so I would love to see De'Aaron Fox go to the Kings at number five. Yeah, the best part is there's little chance, I think, that he won't be there at number five. Unless the Suns trade away Eric Bledsoe for something, he will definitely be there. Fox, I had at the start of the year pretty high, but I never really expected him to get this high, and I think he was helped a lot in the tournament when he dropped 39 on UCLA. I'm a little worried because I see a fair amount of bust potential, but at the same time, there's kind of the potential that he could be a John Wall or a Mike Conley type guard, and that would be a huge, huge win at number five, especially for the Kings, who really need a, a, almost every position. <laughs> yeah, the Kings, I think my, in the way I look at the Kings is they need to get a point guard, and in this draft, especially the top here, there's a couple great options. I think Darren Fox, the uh, smart pick for them here, and definitely the exciting pick. He's such an electric player, but 
never know based on their own scouting that a Smith could maybe sneak up here or if they really like one of these small forwards they could try to grab maybe Jason Tatum and bank on getting a point guard at number 10 but it's hard to see a more like a more ideal fit than Derek Fox for them at number 5 Let's go to number 6 and the Orlando Magic so given how this mock draft has played out so far I think the Magic are pretty upset that Jason Tatum is off the board to the Suns, but I think that Dennis Smith would be a really solid choice for them. They just need a star, and Dennis Smith has one of the highest ceilings in this draft. He also has a really, really low floor, but I think some of the issues that he encountered at NC State were because he didn't really have much space to drive the rim because he didn't have much in the way of helpful teammates. And that's something that, while he wouldn't exactly get much help on that front in Orlando, he would at least have better teammates than he did in college. This is probably our most contested uh, spot. We've had everyone from Malik Monk to Jonathan Isaac to uh, Dennis Smith. Like, we can't, we can't make up our mind. We spend, you know, good 15 to 20 minutes, Michael and I, debating on who the Magic will take. And I think the more we've talked about it, the more we've kind of settled on Jonathan Isaac being the pick here. I look a lot at their new GM, John Hammond, who was obviously with the Bucks before and has a history of taking length and potential. And I think Jonathan Isaac at this point, if he's still on the board at number six, uh, will probably be taken. So, especially now with John Hammond, I, I agree. Based on his history, I do think Isaac is the smart pick to predict. Personally, I still don't think they'll take him, or I'm not fully convinced, I guess. I mean, I hate trying to figure out this pick. It's so difficult, but uh, I always I always push for Malik Monk here. I like Malik Monk a lot. I think he fits it perfectly, and I really think the Magic want to let Aaron Gordon have a little more control and a little more, I guess, uh, presence in, in really trying to like highlight his ability, and they, can, they have way too much of a log jam up front this past year. Getting some spacing on the court could be great. I think Malik would fit in well. Also, if you draft Malik Monk, you get Alfred Payson, you can't shoot the ball. So again, you're working on the space in front. Maybe Laurie Markkinen too. I'm not as big of a fan of him, but someone who can really just, you know, is going to be able to shoot the ball and face the court is something that I like for them. But as Andrew said, with Hammond there, I think it seems to me the pick that you just The one reason that I'm not as sold on Isaac to the Magic is because the Magic tried playing Aaron Gordon at small forward this past year, and it was a disaster. I think Malik Monk would be a good choice for them in that context. And I think the other reason that I would like Malik Monk to go to the Magic at six is because it opens up the possibility of Jonathan Isaac going to the Timberwolves, which is a nearly perfect fit for that team. If... Isaac goes one spot ahead. I think it's a really tough choice for the Timberwolves, just given who the next players up are. Maybe they decide to go with Larry Markkinen, but given how Carl Anthony Towns has struggled on defense, I'm not sure that's a great choice for them. What are you guys' thoughts if Isaac ends up going off the board at six for the Timberwolves at seven? Yeah, that's also something that we struggle uh, to figure out because somebody like Malik Monk, who's arguably probably the highest on draft boards that's still left on the table at this point, he doesn't fit into the Timberwolves kind of plan because they've got Zach Levine already established there as at the shooting guard position. And if you pick Malik, it just seems to be kind of a worse uh, sort of Zach Levine. So here, it, it honestly, 
it's tough not to look at Lori Markkinen. Uh, you could see maybe, like huge maybe, uh, OG Ananobi being picked here. That would be a huge stretch. But if they're really desperate for that kind of length, the lengthy defender that Tibbs seems to really love, then that might end up being their pick, as unlikely as that is. One other player I'll throw out there for consideration here is Zach Collins. He's got the length, he's got the rim protection, he can space the court too. We had Minnesota has no depth at the center position, power forward center. I mean, at least their backup power forward, but he is this he really struggled on defense, struggled rebound. I think Zach Collins has been climbing on a lot of drafts, you know, mock draft boards also. But like you said, if Jonathan Isaac can fall, it's the perfect draft. This feels like the perfect pick for Minnesota. And after that, it really can pick comes. Figuring it out, it's just tough from there. I agree, though, that OG might be an option. But I think Zach Collins is something to keep an eye out for also. Let's move on to number eight and the Knicks. And I think that Dennis Smith would be a great choice for them, but I think that's not the direction that they're likely to go in. I think Frank Milikina would almost certainly be the choice here for the Knicks because every single prospect that has come in to work out with the Knicks has reported that the Knicks are basically doing nothing but run triangle. And Frank Milikina is a great triangle point guard, and the Knicks are going to need a point guard. So I think that makes the most sense just in terms of what's likely to happen, even though I'm not as sold on Nilakina as I am on Dennis Smith's upside. Yeah, I agree that Nilakina probably has the best fit, but at number eight, you really shouldn't be drafting for fit. I think I like the idea of Malik Monk being picked here. I think that makes a lot of sense because obviously Courtney Lee is not going to be your long-term solution at the shooting guard position. Dennis Smith Jr., who we currently have, going number eight to the Knicks, probably makes the most sense as well, just based off of his potential and current talent. It, it's tough, because obviously, Phil, you never know what Phil Jackson's going to do. So I guess we'll just kind of have to see. Yeah, um, one thing I'll point out, and this is a personal opinion, is that Phil Jackson obviously has made a mistake, but he has seems to have a pretty strong history of drafting over the past couple of years. He's made a couple of good picks, it seems like. So this will be an interesting spot to watch, but... Uh, I think Malik Monk's a great fit, and then, yeah, between those two point guards, it's hard to say, but if they are drafted, it's tough to see who's still in drafting for fit or talent at this point, but, you know, essentially, I agree there, because I don't have a lot of stats to expect. So, number nine, the Dallas Mavericks, and I think this is one of the easier ones to project in the lottery, just because I think the Mavericks take whoever of uh, Smith or Nilakina is still on the board. The only potential wrench, I think, in that is if the Mavs decide that they want to get another seven-foot-tall European who can shoot with the number nine overall pick to replace Dirk Nowitzki. So maybe they go with Lowry Markkinen here, but given their hole in the roster at point guard, I think they just go with whichever of the top-tier point guards is left at their pick at number nine. Yeah, I I actually totally agree with you. I think Dennis Smith, if he's somehow available at number nine, is they won't need five minutes to make their decision. They will be right up after number eight and say Dennis Smith Jr. However, if he's gone, Nilakina, uh, I'm not that sold on as a prospect, honestly, and I could see them taking Markkinen, but it just kind of depends on what their kind of thought thought process is because the Mavs are clearly in a win-now sort of mode. Because they want to, Mark Cuban wants Dirk to have this super awesome, you know, finish to his career, which is kind of not plausible. And Markkinen seems to be more ready, and he can give Dirk more of a break, so he might be the pick there. 
over uh, Neil Aquina. So this is where I slightly disagree. Only in the sense that even if Dennis Smith is still on board, I really like Lori Markkinen this pick. I think they are excited by Yogi Ferrell and Seth Curry. I'm not saying that those are necessarily their long-term options. They both might end up projecting as backup guards at their best. But I really think, especially with them having just acquired Curry Terrell, I think Lori is a perfect fit alongside him. He, like you said, he's ready to go. He seems like he might be able to contribute pretty much immediately. And Carlisle being such a controlling coach that he is, I mean, great coach, but that's his style of coaching. Loves having those kind of shooters to pair with, you know, and look at when it was Dirk and Tyson Chandler. Obviously, completely different skill level, but the same style of fit. And I really think Lloyd Martin is going to be a solid to good player that can really contribute. So I think that it's almost going to be you know, they won't take five minutes to decide on my marketing. So we're back to the Kings with the number 10 overall pick, and I'm very happy that the consensus seems to be that Lowry Markkinen will be gone by the time the Kings pick, because I think Lowry would be a terrible, terrible fit in Sacramento for a wide variety of reasons. But with Markkinen off the board, I think that leaves the Kings in an interesting spot, because given that they've taken De'Aaron Fox at number five, they're not likely to look at another point guard. And I think that this would be a great opportunity for the Kings to take an upside pick. And I think the two players that I would look at in that regard would be OG Ananobi or Terrence Ferguson. I think Ferguson's a lot more of a risk, but he also has one of the highest upsides in the draft. And I think getting a defensive player like Ananobi would be something that Dave Yeager would certainly be heavily in favor of. Yeah, it's tough because one of Nealinka or Dennis Smith will probably be available at number 10. Um, and I don't know if that's going to affect Vladi's decision, maybe pick Isaac at five. And if that happens, then I could see them, uh, obviously taking one of Frank or Dennis Smith. But based off of what we've been saying, I think Ananobi is a, is a really nice fit because he gives them that potential pick. And early in the year, he was projected top 10. And after only after his injury was when he started to fall. I think Draft Express currently has him at number 22, but I really think he could be a steal at number 10. I agree. We have OG going here at 10, and I think it's great. I think it's perfect for them. I think you have to assume that they will take a point guard with one of their two picks, but as we have Fox going earlier to Sacramento, I think OG is a good, a good spot for OG. The one thing I'd say is to keep, to keep in mind is OG might have to sit out this season or sit out for a while. I don't remember exactly the details of how long he's out for still. Uh, but you never know with the Kings and their history of being a bit impatient. That might get them away and maybe go for someone like Ferguson or Donovan Mitchell or someone of that sort. But I do like OG here a lot, personally. Now on to number 11 and the Charlotte Hornets. Zach Collins could easily be the pick here, but I think the Hornets fans would revolt if they used another high lottery pick on a white big man with a short wingspan. (laughs) So to avoid rioting in Charlotte, I think they could go with someone like Donovan Mitchell, who was a point guard at Louisville, but I think could be a decent fit as a two guard as well, given his long wingspan despite his 6'3 frame. I think another interesting choice for them might be Ananobi if he's available, or go with more of a local guy and take a flyer on Harry Giles. But what are you guys' thoughts on what the Hornets might do at number 11? This is another tough one, because we currently have Frank Fallen uh, here, 
and we we haven't been picked here by the Hornets because I think that to a certain extent you could play Frank and Kemba Walker at the same time a few years down the road, and that'll kind of ease up the offensive load off of Kemba Walker's back and onto Frank because Frank has a seven foot one wingspan, which is just insane. Uh, and I think it's hard to pass up that kind of talent and potential uh, if he slips all the way down to you. I also think that they're in a prime position to trade down. I could see a team that, that wants, that really, really likes Frank uh, to trade up and, and try and get him there, which would be very interesting, I think. One more player to keep your eyes open for here, too, I think, is Luke Kennard. They really need some shooting and scoring on that team. And Lucas is probably, uh, he's been on the downcourt. It's tough to tell him, but that's just not a player I can see them taking. But yeah, I think Luke, Donovan Mitchell, Terrence Reese, and all to be in the picture here just for them to try to grab a shooting guard. Otherwise, I think Giles is interesting, but I'm not sure if they want to draft another big man. Uh, but if he, if Giles has potential, it's a good workout. It's not crazy to think that he can go here in 11. So, moving on to the Pistons at number 12. If Frank Nilakina ends up falling this far, I think Stan Van Gundy would be falling over himself to get to the draft table to pick him. <laughs> but if they don't have Nilakina available, the question is whether they would go for an offense-first player or a defense-first player. And I think Ananobi would be a solid fit here. But I think Luke Kennard could also be a really interesting choice, especially given the situation with Kentavious Caldwell-Pope, where he might well receive a max offer in free agency that the Pistons aren't willing to match. I think they would match him, but if they decide not to, then that would make a really interesting draft night decision for them. Yeah. The way Michael convinced me on this pick, uh, he he convinced me Luke Kennard was the pick here, um, was that Van Gundy has been trying to build the Pistons much like he built the Magic, and a player like Luke Kennard who provides that kind of spacing and shooting makes a lot of sense here. And it's just, I know, I don't think Ananobi would make sense after picking Stanley Johnson uh, a few years ago. And Ferguson, of course, is an option, so is Donovan Mitchell, and it's a toss-up, I think, between those three. But uh, I really like the idea of Luke Kennard bringing that extra spacing that he'll be the pick. And the reason I'm also a supporter for Luke here uh, over the other two shooting guards is, of the three, I think he's the best at uh, working in the pick and roll. He's not as much of just a shooter. He is a very good ball handler, a very good uh, facilitator. And that's, again, something that I think Sam and Gundy really values in a two guard. Uh, a little bit extra versatility in that sense. And, of course, with Drummond in the middle, that, again, kind of makes up for Luke's deficiency on defense. So I just really seems to come together for me with Luke at 12 here. Moving on to number 13, the Denver Nuggets. And Denver is interesting because they already have a young player at basically every position. But now that they've moved Nikola Jokic into the starting center role, they desperately need defensive pieces. So I think they would be very happy if OG Ananobi was available to them here. If not, they might go with someone like Donovan Mitchell, who's got a lot of defensive upside. But the thing about the Nuggets is that they're basically set at a lot of their positions. So one idea that I thought might be interesting for them is to go with someone like Justin Jackson, who probably doesn't have star upside or really even top-level starter upside. But he has a very high floor, I think, and that could definitely be something that the Nuggets go for at this point in the draft. Yeah, Justin Jackson is actually the guy that we uh, have there at number 13. 
with Wilson Chandler and Daniel Gallinari gone over the next couple of years, probably unless they resign Gallinari this offseason, um, they they have a hole at that small forward position. That if Ananobi's not there, I think Justin Jackson is primed to uh, kind of be that solid starter, much like a Gary Harris, and will look even better with the offense running through Jokic. Yeah, I agree. I think OG is an interesting option here if he's still available. I like Justin Jackson. Somebody can maybe come in right away and look a little bit older than than uh, freshman out of college, so he's maybe a little more mature and ready to fit right into a team that I think Denver's probably in the organization really wanting to or starting to approach the win now mode. Also, they have their defensive issues, but do not sleep on Gary Harris as a great defensive player. I think he's a little underrated in that sense. So I don't think that they're head over they're necessarily desperate for defense, but that is a good point when it comes to maybe they look at well, I didn't prefer OG, but I do think Justin Jackson's a great Moving on to number 14 and the last pick in the lottery, the Miami Heat. They started the season 11 and 30. They finished the season 30 and 11 to the surprise of literally everyone in the league. So they have a really interesting situation with the number 14 pick because they're about to lose a lot of guys to free agency, including some really important pieces like James Johnson, who was huge for them as a point forward down the ending stretch of the year. So if you're the Heat here at number 14, I think going for a high upside player is really would be a solid choice for them, just given how successful they were last year. But the problem is that a lot of the high upside players that I'm particularly high on at this point in the draft are big men, and they have Hassan Whiteside on a max contract for the next three years. So I would consider either Harry Giles or Justin Patton or go with Donovan Mitchell here if he's still available. But what are you guys' thoughts on Miami's draft situation? Yeah, so we had Harry Giles there for the longest time until uh, I think I kind of convinced Michael that with Hassan Whiteside, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And instead, we replaced him with Zach Collins. I know it's replacing one big man with another, but Collins seems to have a, a lot of upside as well as a pretty high floor. And he he seems like he should be picked in the lottery. And his ability to play power forward a little bit as well could really help Miami just kind of be a defensive stalwart, which is, I think, what Eric Spolster really likes, the idea of considering how with LeBron James and Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosch were there, they were high-intensity defense, which he might like to bring back. So, it's something I'll say here. Working on a mock draft as two people involves a lot of compromise. This is something that I absolutely compromise. I'm still not big on Zach Collins here. I, understand, I do agree that Zach Collins is a lottery talent, and he fits better with one side than most other big men. But I love Harry Giles here. I think Ozzy Spolstra and Pat Riley have more job stability than anyone in the NBA. And so they can take a risk on someone like Giles, and if it doesn't work out, not a huge deal for them. They also have been so incredible in developing some of these players. It seems like it makes sense that they could turn him into something useful if you know his struggles continue. And he just has Giles still has that potential that people were gushing over as he came into two. And to get someone with that much potential at 14 at the end of the lottery seems like some kind of value that you don't want to pass up on. Now that we are out of the lottery, we're going to go rapid fire on this. So as Andrew and Michael have alluded to a couple of times throughout the podcast, their mock draft 2.0 will be up on hashtag basketball, maybe before this podcast goes live, but certainly sometime soon. 
So we're going to go through the rest of the first round and have Andrew and Michael speak up for their picks. So starting at number 15 with the Portland Trailblazers. Okay, so 15, we actually have Harry Giles here now. Uh, again, Portland has three picks in this draft. They should absolutely take a risk on someone great, and they don't have the best big man right now, so I think he fits well if it works out. If otherwise, if you flip it, maybe it's at Collins. If Miami does take Giles, I think big man that has some real great potential and upside is perfect for Portland here. So I think that maybe the Blazers will shy away from a big man, given how successful Yusuf Nurkic was down the stretch of the season. But even so, they still need a backup big. So either Giles or Collins would probably be a solid choice here. Moving on, number 16, the Chicago Bulls. So we have the Bulls picking Jared Allen here. Uh, It's kind of a toss-up, it seems, between him and Patton for who's the better prospect. But we figured here that Allen... uh, is more of a sure thing, and the Bulls seem to be in this win-now mode because they have, you know, Dwayne Wade. Um, and since their only other big that's really any useful is Robin Lopez, a backup big, and Jared Allen, who could also become their long-term solution, seems to make a lot of sense here. Given that this is the Bulls and Garpax, they might also just decide to trade this pick away for Jason Terry to get some veteran leadership. <laughs> Moving on to number 17, the Milwaukee Bucks, who had a surprisingly successful season as they roared into the playoffs behind the Greek Freak. Yeah, this is kind of the dream pick for me. Uh, if Donovan Mitchell falls this far, I really don't see him not being picked up by the Bucks. Obviously, the starting five is pretty set, so getting backup players who can succeed off the bench like Donovan Mitchell, who's also got a very long wingspan at six foot ten, makes a lot of sense here because especially since Rashad Vaughn hasn't really panned out the way they would like to. And so as the current backup shooting guard is Jason Terry, who's just about forty, Donovan Mitchell is probably the best pick here. I'm very high on Donovan Mitchell, so you're certainly not gonna get any arguments from me here. Moving on to number eighteen, the Indiana Pacers, who Shortly before we started recording this, found out that Paul George is very aggressively not planning on returning to the Pacers after this season. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they kind of had their time in the sun a few years ago. But here we have John Collins, actually. Uh, I think he's being a little underrated because I, a lot of people are underrating his 19 points and nearly 10 rebounds a game, which is actually incredible because those are some really, really good stats just looking at it. Obviously, they have Thaddeus Young at their power forward position, but he's not really going to be a long-term solution like Collins, I think, could be. So it's kind of a risky yet high-reward type pick. I also think Collins would be a fantastic fit alongside Miles Turner, particularly looking at the long term, especially since even though Collins just finished his sophomore year, he still hasn't even turned 20 yet. Moving on to number 19, the Atlanta Hawks, who have been on a steady decline since winning 60 games and the number one seed a couple of years ago. Thoughts on what Atlanta might do here at 19? Yeah, so we have them taking a center. We have them taking a Patton because I think he can do a lot. Uh, he has a lot of time to grow under because Dwight Howard still has three years left on his contract. Uh, and I can see either Dwight Howard being traded in a few years if Patton becomes a, a stud or Patton could totally bust and they still have Dwight Howard at center. I think it's kind of it fits their um, their long term plan and it, it seems to be the best pick here. So Dwight actually only has two years left on his contract, but either way, I think Justin Patton could learn a lot from Howard in terms of crashing the glass more effectively. And, you know, 
it would at least be good for Patton's confidence to be playing alongside one of the few centers in the league who's going to be a worse free throw shooter than he is. Moving on to number 20, which is, again, the Portland Trailblazers. And I think it's really likely that they trade at least one of their three first-round picks, 15, 20, and 26. But assuming they don't give away one of those picks, what are your guys' thoughts on who Portland might be looking at for number 20? So we have uh, Radiant or Rod, as we call it. So that's what we did have here. I think Portland, the reason we had him here, and this is still something Portland can look into, is an international player, which we'll get to with their next pick. Whether it's a draft stash, because as you mentioned, with three picks, tough to imagine they don't either stash one of those players or trade the pick away. Alright, moving on to number 21, the Oklahoma City Thunder, who probably came pretty close to expectations, but maybe those expectations were a little bit high given how much they struggled on offense outside of presumptive MVP Russell Westbrook. So what are you guys' thoughts on who Oklahoma City might look at for 21? So if I were to be an Oklahoma City Thunder fan, I would be ecstatic if you could get TJ Leaf at this pick. I think he is projected to be just a quintessential stretch for in the NBA. Big 10 shot. Something right around 45% of three. Uh, he obviously has his defensive issues. He's not the best athlete. He needs what they have. Steven Adams in the middle is a great defensive center, in my opinion. I think he just adds that shooting and that continues to space the floor for that team for Russell. I think it's a great fit. My only concern with TJ Leaf is that it's possible that his shooting numbers were inflated by getting to play alongside Lonzo Ball. But if those numbers are real, he would be a great fit for the Thunder. Moving on to number 22, the Brooklyn Nets. And I think with the Nets, really, there are a lot of different kinds of players that could fit in well for them. I think Terrence Ferguson might be an interesting choice, just given that they want to get as much superstar upside as possible. But what are you guys' thoughts on what Brooklyn might do at 22? So we actually have Isaiah Hartenstein being picked here. We thought in terms of Brooklyn's kind of schedule of winning, they'd really swing for that home run pick, and I think Hartenstein offers that. I do like the idea of Terrence Ferguson, actually, and I think he makes a lot of sense. But the the ability for Hartenstein to kind of do it all, essentially, he's very raw still, but there's a lot of potential there in terms of passing and shooting, uh, hitting the three. I, I think he can learn a lot, too, from Brooke Lopez. I'm a little biased here because I am very down on Hardenstein's potential. I think there are a lot of people that are saying he's going to be a stretch forward, but he hit fewer than 27% of his threes last season in Europe. So I would love to see the Nets go with Ferguson here over Hardenstein, but I'm very biased just because I really don't buy into Hartenstein at all. Moving on to number 23, the Toronto Raptors. Who do you guys have going here? So, the Toronto Raptors, we have taking DJ Wilson from Michigan. Uh, also, quick disclaimer, I might be the biggest DJ Wilson supporter uh, on the planet currently. A really big DJ Wilson guy, and that's been a bit of a point of contention for Andrew and I. But I think we convinced Andrew to put DJ Wilson here. I think he's going to be great. He can play both at three and four. He's long. He can shoot. I think he fits in perfectly with Toronto's goals. Especially with Toronto losing some players to a free agent team, most likely in the summer. I think DJ Wilson's an ideal uh, replacement for this team of some of their lost players off the other rookie contract. So I would have loved to have DJ Wilson fall to the Nets at 27. 
But given that, Michael, you seem to be slightly higher, but still very high on DJ Wilson like I am, maybe the Nets actually do consider taking Wilson with the pick before number 22. But moving on to number 24, the first of Utah's two first round picks in this year's draft. This one was tough because, well, initially we had Jonathan Jean there. That really, you know, Marfan syndrome, that was very unlucky, much like Isaiah Austin three years ago. But instead, we've replaced him with Ike uh, Anikbogu from UCLA. We, we think, um, obviously, Rudy Gobert is the established center there. But in terms of backups, uh, the closest thing they have is Boris Diaw, because Jeff Withy really shouldn't be seeing the NBA court anytime soon. So we figured he kind of fits that, that style of defense and um, just kind of hard-nosed play. Derek Favors was actually really successful as a backup center during these playoffs, so that would be a reason that I might contest going with Onobogu here. But given that Favors has been posting on Twitter that there's a blessing in disguise and he's removed all jazz references from most of his social media, I have a feeling he's not going to be in Utah for very long. Moving on to number 25, which is the Orlando Magic once again. So, well, there's a very good chance Terrence Ferguson is off the board by now. We do not have him off the board yet, so I think Orlando would be again ecstatic if they were able to get Terrence here. Uh, he's got kind of he's got that length, shooting that Hammond has repeatedly drafted. I mean, it'd be an absolute steal to get Terrence Ferguson at 25. Like he can shoot, he has some crazy performances in uh, junior select uh, basketball, shooting the three, and he's just such a, such a good athlete. It seems like it'd be a perfect fit for them at 25. I think it's really unfair how far Ferguson has fallen after his season in Australia. I think his high school play deserves certainly a higher pick than number 25, and I have a strong feeling that he could be this draft's version of Scalabissier, who fell a lot farther than he should have after a poor year in college and showed during the stretch run for the Kings that he's a lot better than a lot of guys picked in front of him. That being said, it's very possible that Ferguson could be a bust, but if you're picking this late in the first round, I think it's absolutely worth it to go for that kind of high upside player. Moving on to number 26, which is the third first round pick for the Portland Trailblazers. Again, I would be shocked if they actually make all three of those picks and keep them, but assuming they do, what are your thoughts on who's going to go 26 to Portland? So, I'll give my best shot at pronouncing his name, but we have Ansejus Hashmix. That's probably just a terrible way of trying to pronounce that. But anyway, he is a 7 1 center out of Spain. He is, uh, when it comes to skill, he's known for being able to finish at the rim with either hand, uh, capable in the pick and roll, and has shown, I guess, flashes of having a bit of a jump shot. Uh, there's a good chance he doesn't come over right away, so this might be another opportunity for Travis Dash. And if he does come over, I think he fits in decently in Portland. They're still looking for another big man. Uh, and if he's that capable on offense, that can fit in well, you know, play that pick and roll with McCall and Miller. Seems like a good opportunity for Portland here. Take a risk. I think that Brooklyn would jump on Pesechniks, which I think is the right pronunciation, but I could be very, very wrong, if he doesn't go to Portland at 26. But moving on to 27 and Brooklyn, if Pesechniks is off the board, I would go for Jordan Bell here, actually, because Brooklyn really struggled on the defensive end last season, and I think getting Bell to complement 
Brooke Lopez in the front court at times, but mainly be more of a defensive bench big to replace Justin Hamilton, who was atrocious on that end. I think that could be a huge upgrade for Brooklyn. That's interesting. I've seen Jordan Bell mocked very late first round, uh, early second, uh, but we actually we went for a different stretch pick here. We went for Frank Jackson out of Duke. We think that his ability to be kind of that combo guard, uh, as well as not being able to really have free reign as he was behind Grayson Allen and Duke, I, I think he really could kind of explode out of the gate and be uh, kind of a sleeper pick late in the first round. All right, moving on to number 28, which is the Los Angeles Lakers. They have Lonzo Ball with the number two pick in this mock draft. What do you guys think they will go for with this late first rounder? So this is another opportunity we saw this late in the first round to kind of take a risk and maybe go for someone that their stock has plummeted essentially over the past year and a half. Nancy Von Rob, uh, power forward center. He's He's about six seconds long. We have a seven-two wingspan. Only a year ago, he probably would have been a lottery pick, and he just hasn't really panned out the way people expected originally. But I so that being said, I think LA at twenty-eight would be happy to take a risk on him, and I think he could fit into their team okay. So yeah, we thought this was a pretty good opportunity for them to kind of take a risk with Ivan Carter. Yeah, I've seen Rab as low as in the 40s in some mock drafts, and honestly, given how high he was slotted last season. I think the fact that he didn't make much progress this past year is troubling. But on the other hand, even though he didn't make much progress from last year, he still showed enough that I think he would definitely be worthy of a late first round flyer. Moving on to the San Antonio Spurs, number 29. And given that this is the Spurs, I think they would definitely go for Pesechnik if he's still available, just because of their love of international players. But... What do you guys think about what the Spurs might do here at 29, especially with Pesechnik's off the board? I completely agree that Pesechnik is here to go for him. But, again, we thought that they would really want a backup center. I think Deadman is probably on his way out. Uh, so we actually went with Bam Adebayo, the prospect out of Kentucky. A little undersized for center, but he's an effective protector and rebounder. I think mean, absolutely explosive, I think. San Antonio, if anybody would be able to use him as a backup center, just the way that Pop can really take any skill and use it to his advantage. Yeah, I think definitely looking for a backup center here is kind of the mindset, and thought Bam was the best player left on the board here. Yeah, Bam is so raw that if any team is really going to be able to take advantage of his tools and mold him, it's going to be the San Antonio Spurs. So now on to the last pick of the first round, number 30 to the Utah Jazz. Who do you guys have going here? So this late in the draft, you're just hoping to find somebody. So we kind of went with age over potential, and we went with Semi Ojeli out of SMU. Uh, I think his ability to kind of just be an athletic, kind of that energy guy off the bench, I think he's got a potential of being uh, a solid rotation player. But you're not, I don't think he's going to really turn into a, a big time star or anything like that. I think that's a really solid choice. And given Semi's defensive abilities, at this point in the draft, you're not really going to get a star anyway, unless you get super lucky and end up with someone like David Lee or Gilbert Arenas inexplicably falling to that 30th overall pick. So given that, I think Semi is someone who could fit into pretty much any rotation as a role-playing defensive player. And if you're Utah, that's got to be a great choice. Mm. So 
now that we are out of the first round, let's just look at some players who weren't picked in the top 30 here that could be solid sleepers. And so I have a couple of guys that I'm really high on in this second round. One is sort of an earlier second round pick, and one is a later second round pick. So my guy for early second round is Jawan Evans. That Oklahoma State offense didn't really have all that much besides him, yet he managed to lead them to, I think actually by the end of the year, they were the best offense in the country, which is spectacular. And I think the only reason that he's not getting picked a lot higher is because he's slightly under six feet tall rather than, you know, 6'2 or 6'3. But he does have a 6'6 wingspan, so he's not going to be as troubled on defense as a lot of smaller point guards. What are your guys' thoughts both on Evans and on some other guys who might be second-round sleepers sort of in the early portion of that round? I really like Jawan Evans as well. I think that he could probably be a backup point guard, maybe at best, but a guy like Josh Hart I think has a lot of potential. And another one that I really liked that was really high earlier was Caleb Swanigan out of Purdue, averaging 18.5 points per game and 12.5 rebounds per game while being six foot nine uh, is, I think, not to be kind of just glossed over. Uh, he does have a seven foot three wingspan as well. So I think he could be potentially a very, very solid kind of, you know, he's currently drafted to go 40th or so. And I think that, that could be a, a big time steal. I think actually Swanigan would be another solid option for the Nets at 27 just because he will probably never be even an average defensive player, but he's such a skilled offensive player and a really solid rebounder that I think teams that are late in the first round might look at him and say, you know what, we're not going to go for the potential home run pick. We're going to take Swanigan, who might not ever be more than a decent offensive bench big who struggles on defense, but I could see Swanigan being more successful offensively than really any other skill set for a bunch of other players that might be somewhere in the 28 to 35 range. I agree with Caleb Swanigan. I think he's got the potential that absolutely could come in and have an impact in the NBA. I like Juwan Evans, too. I think that's another player that maybe we have great chance going at 27 to Brooklyn, but Juwan Evans could just as easily go there, in my opinion. Two other players all shot out uh, as you know, maybe players that have some potentials. One is Tony Bradley, the center from USC. I think he's got, I mean, he's, he would have been the starting center here this season next year, and I think he would have been a surefire first round pick if he had stayed another year. He's definitely got some second round potential for some team to steal. And then, of course, my other buddy from, uh, from Michigan, Morris Wagner. I'm a big Morris Wagner guy for probably no good reason, but I think he is, he, he can become an extremely versatile big man in the NBA. Seven feet tall, he can shoot the three, shot about 39.5% uh, on three attempts a game, which maybe that's something crazy, but I think he can come in and absolutely fit into the kind of pace-based developing style of the NBA right now on top of the team. What's really great um, about working with Michael is that he gets very passionate about some people that maybe shouldn't be passionate uh, about. Um, last year, uh, it was Ben Bentil who ended up, you know, falling out of the league, but Michael was convinced he'd be a star, and he actually made it into the first round of our mock draft. So, you know, I, I, it's, it's just fantastic, you know, <laughs> hearing who's going to be next. 
And this year it's Moritz Wagner. And and EJ Williams, to be fair. Well, I, I think two this year. Yeah. So let's look at maybe some later second round prospects and or some guys that might be undrafted and go on the new two-way D-League NBA contracts. And there's really only one guy in particular that I wanted to shout out here, and that's Cinderius Thornwell. Mm. I think that he's just a really smart player who has made the best of limited athletic ability. He has a really quick and pretty solid three-point shot. And I just think that there's no way that Thornwell won't be able to be a ninth or tenth man in someone's rotation. And when you're talking about that late in the second round, given that most of those guys don't really have NBA careers, I think that even though Thornwell is a little old, he could have a pretty solid eight-year career as a deep bench guy that I don't really see from a lot of other guys who are projected in the 50s. Yeah, I mean, once you're that late, it's it's very difficult. Uh, one guy that I do like is Dwayne Bacon, uh, actually out of Florida State. He's already 22, but I think that he might be able to be uh, just kind of that scorer off the bench. Like you said, ninth, 10th guy. And again, if you're that late in the game, you're kind of just hoping for something. I'll mention, uh, I'll bring up two other point guards that I think could go later undrafted that I was just impressed with watching their college careers, what they put up, and maybe they can make an impact on a team. What is Monte Morris out of Iowa State? All his advantages. Uh, and then another Nigel Williams Goss out of Gonzaga. And Goss is 64 with a 67 wingspan. He's a big point guard. Maybe he can come in and have a defensive impact. Uh, just a couple of players so that will go late, and then I'll be excited to see what happens with them over the next couple of years. All right. Anything else you guys want to talk about before we wrap up? No, I think I'm good. Yeah, I'm all set. Keep your eyes over the mock draft and be excited to see DJ Wills take over the NBA any day. <laughs> all right. Well, they are Andrew Buchanan and Michael Marzek. You can find their work on hashtag basketball or on Twitter at A-N-D-R-E-W-B-248 and at M-I-C. H-A-E-L-M-A-R-Z-E-C-1-1. Their mock draft version 2.0 will hopefully be up on the hashtag basketball website by the time this podcast comes out. Additionally, hashtag basketball is doing a site-wide mock draft shortly after we finish recording here. So hopefully that will be up on the website as well by the time this podcast comes out. You can find me on Twitter at N-B-A-J-O-H-N-S-O-N. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave a rating or a review on whatever podcast player you might be using. That really helps us spread the word and reach out to more people. As well, if you have any feedback, you can feel free to message me on Twitter or send me an email at N-I-C-K-A-J dot N-B-A at gmail. Dot com. This might be the last podcast for the season. I've already said this a couple times, but, you know, I love doing this, so who knows? Maybe we'll have some more. But as always, thanks so much for listening. <laughs>